This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Power Play, a new series that's part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Young, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Denson Chong, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Together, every month, both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. To kick off this episode, we're going to look at how likable China is, or how lovable, a word that Chinese President Xi Jinping used last month. Ah, uh, yes. Xi Jinping, I think, really got people talking when he said that. It was in a May 31st speech at a Politburo study session on China's discourse power when he said this, you know, that China needed to build a credible, lovable, and respectable image and make more friends. But he also said that China was engaged in what he called the public opinion struggle, uh, or yulen tozheng, you know, which suggested that Beijing would continue to be tough. And, you know, there was all this discussion last month about whether Beijing was going to change tact, you know, on its wolf warrior style diplomacy and present a softer image to the world. But Carissa, I think the core issue here is that uh, Beijing realizes that its message, the way it's communicating, isn't resonating with the rest of the world. Essentially, it has a big PR problem. Uh, Carissa, how do you think the US, you know, sees all of this? Well, the US is fond of saying that Beijing is pushing the world away with its aggressive words and behavior. So Kurt Campbell, the White House's top official for Asia, said that China only has itself to blame for this global backlash against its policies. So he and others have criticized how, among other things, China is building military installations in the South China Sea. And China's diplomats have also been quite aggressive and a little insensitive on social media, even to the point of being trolls. So one recent incident that stood out to me was from May, when some official Chinese government Weibo accounts made posts that seemed to mock India's coronavirus situation. There was this one shocking post which compared China's module launch of its first space station with mass cremations in India. So the caption said, China lighting a fire versus India lighting a fire. And that was really insensitive given the scale of human tragedy taking place in India then. So the posts were later deleted, but you know, it shocked a lot of people, even Chinese users. And there were other inflammatory wolf warrior posts that also draw attention to past atrocities by Australia, Canada, and the United States. So even though they have a point, the way they're making this point, it's very rough and it's very insensitive. Uh, yes, you're right. In my view, I think these wolf warriors are a real problem uh, for China. So they get their name from a pair of action movies, you know, that have been called uh, China's version uh, of Rambo. Um, but essentially, you know, they are Chinese diplomats that, you know, take this more combative or more assertive form of diplomacy. And I think the idea is that they want to show the world that, that China is no pushover and, you know, they can give as good as, as, as they get. But, you know, it also plays to China's domestic audience. Uh, it's a message to them that their country is strong and, you know, reinforces support uh, for the government. And we see this, you know, almost on a daily basis uh, from China's uh, foreign ministry press briefings. The foreign ministry spokesman Zhao Litian, uh, you know, has been accused of using that platform, you know, to spread conspiracy theories, uh, disinformation, you know, engaging in, you know, what people have called uh, whataboutism. You know, I don't know whether you remember when he said that, you know, the US uh, army lab, Fort Detrick, should be investigated over whether uh, COVID-19 uh, emerged from there. You know, or when he suggested also that the US military was the one that brought the virus to Wuhan. You know, so it has been very counterproductive diplomatically. And I think the example you mentioned about, you know, how they contrasted uh, China's space launch, uh, you know, with funeral pyres in India, I think illustrates this uh, very well. It's, it's so insensitive and tone deaf. And that's just uh, one example. But I think it shows, you know, how this uh, wolf warrior approach is not endearing China to the world or, or making it uh, more lovable. 
Unfortunately for China, surveys are actually showing that people around the world view China quite negatively. So there was a poll that the Pew Research Center released last month. It showed that negative views of China hit or remain near historic highs in most advanced economies. So a median of only like 27% across the 17 advanced economies surveyed have a favorable opinion of China, only 27%. So in Asia, a median of 73% see China in a negative light. Japan was actually the most negative, with roughly about 9 in 10 seeing China negatively. And two-thirds or more people in Australia, South Korea, Taiwan and New Zealand have mostly negative views of China. But when it comes to the pandemic, people gave China credit for handling that better than in the start. Views of how China has handled the pandemic are now more positive than last summer. But even though this has improved, the overall image of China hasn't. And that probably indicates a deeper problem with China's image worldwide. Carissa, Singapore was covered in the Pew Research Centre poll too, right? Yes, Singapore was a bit of an exception, which I thought was quite interesting. Unlike most of the world, a majority of Singaporeans have a favourable view of China, about 64%. Singaporeans were also the only group to view China in a better light than the US. And Singaporeans were the only group to prefer stronger economic ties with China over the US. You know, Carissa, that's really, really interesting. It didn't come as a surprise, you know, that we saw that the kind of neg- negative opinions of China, you know, in places like Japan, Australia, South Korea, Taiwan, or New Zealand, you know, but I was really quite surprised by Singapore's results. I mean, 64% uh, with a favorable view of China is, is almost two thirds of the population. But I was looking at the Pew uh, research results and it, it does say that ethnic Chinese Singaporeans did have a more positive view towards China. And also that, you know, three quarters of those surveyed in Singapore had positive views of China's handling of COVID-19. I think there could be a multitude of reasons for why Singapore is such an outlier, you know, maybe because of business ties or, or good bilateral relations. But I think if you ask me, we could also be seeing the impact of China's soft power influence, you know, resonating with Chinese Singaporeans, particularly the older generation who are known to watch, you know, CCTV or the Chinese state broadcaster. I think in recent years, Chinese TV programs have also become increasingly popular in Singapore. You know, it could possibly be that these views towards China, you know, have been uh, impacted because of these things. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. One of the things China really had going for it last year, Denson, was the Trump presidency. Going back to the Pew survey, which is conducted regularly, it actually showed that the world also viewed America negatively when Donald Trump was America's president. So in summer last year, a median of 34% across 13 countries had favorable views of the US compared to 24% who viewed China positively. So that's kind of about the same level. But while views of China have remained largely negative, positive views of the US have rebounded since last year. Now, a median of 61% have favorable views of America compared with 27% who have favorable views for China. So in a sense, China had the opportunity to show the world that it could be better than America, you know, more generous, more friendly, and it looks like they squandered that opportunity. That's a good point there, Carissa. I think China had plenty of missed opportunities last year. You know, it it managed to control the COVID-19 pandemic early, you know, so it could have demonstrated that it was a responsible global power, you know, by shipping masks and other medical equipment abroad. But then that effort was tarnished, you know, when there were reports that came out of how some countries were pressured to thank or praise uh, China publicly. And then, you know, it could have also provided Chinese vaccines to the developing world early on when uh, rich countries were hoarding Western-made vaccines. But then the world never really viewed Chinese uh, vaccine diplomacy efforts positively. 
because I think China did not release vaccine data in a transparent manner. You know, it seems to me that China does not really get the point. Uh, one party insider, you know, that I was speaking to, told me that, that China needs to find a way to communicate the West uh, in a way that you know the West can can understand. So, in his view, the the political jargon that comes from having you know very different political system, you know, and uh, language differences, you know, all contribute to to these misunderstandings uh, towards China. Denson, does China see itself as a victim? Because that would be quite the contrast from America and the West, who call China a bully. Well, Carissa, the sense I get is that Beijing believes that internationally, it continues to be viewed negatively because of the West's dominance of international discourse. That's why you increasingly see Chinese diplomats or media agencies on you know, media platforms like Twitter and Facebook, which are both banned in China. I mean, Krista, did you know that the Oxford Internet Institute uh, in a recent report found that from June last year to February this year, that Chinese diplomats had tweeted over 200,000 times. That's 778 times a day. That is a lot. Do you think it's quantity over quality, though? You know, Carissa, there's something that former Singapore Foreign Minister George Yeo said recently about this that really struck me. He was speaking in an interview to the Chinese newspaper Global Times, and this is what he said. Rhetoric by itself is superficial. The key is winning the argument not only by words, but also by deeds. Well, that nicely wraps our chat up. You've been listening to Powerplay. I'm Carissa Yong. And I'm Danson Chong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. And don't forget to subscribe to the revamped Asian Insider podcast channel on your favourite audio apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts as we roll out new programs weekly. The Asian Insider podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.